Thank you for listening to the Hope City Community Church Podcast. We pray that your life will be forever changed by what you hear today. Our goal is to encourage, inspire, and challenge you to experience the real Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now let's tune in. Let's go ahead and dig into the Word today. Uh, I'm excited about the holiday season. You guys excited it's Christmas time? And I'm just excited it's Christmas time. Maddie, what'd you get me? Something expensive? Something fancy? Huh? You ain't got me nothing yet, have you? You're like me. You procrastinate. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Well, this morning we're going to continue the series, Holy Night. Holy Night. The word holy literally just means consecrated or set apart for the purposes of God. And you know, the, the night Jesus was born, there had been a lot of things set up for that night. And today we're going to dig into the concept of why the necessity of a virgin birth. Why was it that a virgin birth had to take place? And so we're going to dig into this just for a few minutes today. Um, The first time we hear any uh, details about a virgin birth is actually in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And to set this up, what had gone on uh, is that Adam and Eve had partaken from the forbidden fruit, right? And now uh, God is speaking to the devil out of frustration and telling him about a future plan for his destruction. And it's found in Genesis 3.15. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Remember that, her seed. He shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Depending on the text that you read, it says he, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head, right? So what's interesting there is if you know anything about biology, which I've forgotten like 99% of what I learned in high school, But I did learn this. When it comes to procreation and reproduction, a woman's job is not the seed. It's the egg. A woman's job is to grow the seed, but not to produce the seed. So when I see this verse and it says that he's going to put friction between mankind and the devil, he says between your seed and her seed. And I'm thinking, her seed? Wait a second. How does a woman have a child without? It's because it's a pretext. It is a, uh, a, 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 basically a warning of what is to come to the devil. And what he's saying is prophetically, there's going to be a baby born that doesn't need the seed of man to take place. The next time we see this is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, this was prophesied um, sometime between 734 and 732 B.C., 730 years before Christ. Watch this. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Manuel. 700 years before the birth of Christ, uh, it was prophesied that there is a baby coming from a virgin. Well, all of this leads us to uh, the story that's found in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And I'm going to read this to you, uh, starting in verse 26. Again, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read to verse 38. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name, Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you 
among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? Right there she's saying, I've never been intimate with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this is the story uh, of Mary being informed that there is going to be what we know now as the Immaculate Conception, uh, a virgin-born child who would be the Messiah, Christ the King, Jesus, right? What's interesting about this is what makes her qualified is kind of interesting. Uh, the fact that she was a virgin, yes, but it's also the fact that she is also by herself from the lineage of David. If you want to find her lineage, you would go through uh, King David down to Nathan, and then there's a split from Nathan, his second son, that is her lineage. Nathan's first son is where her husband came from. And so there, uh, God has even said that this child would be from the house of David, even without the seed of the father. Jesus still qualifies as a son from the house of David. And it's imperative. And the reason why it's interesting and the reason why we need to know what the Bible says is because there are people who would say, well, if the father did not give the seed, then his genealogy is wrong. But can I tell you, God thought about that in advance. Uh, Mary was qualified not only because she was a virgin, but also because she was from the house of the line of David. Okay? So another reason why I think she was qualified is because she could get her hands on some really valuable stuff. We talked about, in week one, Bethlehem. In week two, last week, we talked about the tower of the flock, the manger, the place where uh, the rabbinical sheep were protected. Well, one of the things I found out in my studies is that these sheep could not just be wrapped in any standard cloth. They couldn't just go to Joanne's and just pick up a a bolt and just wrap them up in anything, right? No, these had to be uh, wrapped in a specific kind of cloth. And here's how they would get it. On Passover or any religious holiday, a priest would cover himself with a prayer shawl and he would go in to the temple and he would pray. And when he would come out, they would take the prayer shawl and they would use it for one of two things. They would first use it as uh, uh, a twine in the menorah. So it would literally be uh, uh, the line inside the candles of the menorah. The second thing it would be used for 
is for swaddling clothes of the rabbinical flock. These swaddling cloths literally had been in the Holy of Holies and were now used to swaddle the baby sheep uh, as they were born spotless. They would be wrapped up in these holy cloths or these swaddling cloths, right? What's interesting is that we never have any proof of uh, contact with Mary uh, to get swaddling cloths. It had to come from one of two places. It either had to come from the manger, the, the Migdal Adair, the tower of the flock, or it came from another place. And again, this is, this is just me kind of digging in, trying to figure out this information. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 45. It says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So she finds out that she's pregnant, and she hightails it for her cousin's house in the hill country of Judea. What's interesting is what her husband did for a living. Elizabeth's husband, his name was Zechariah, was a priest. And we had just experienced a religious holiday, and it is very likely that as a gift, she received swaddling cloths at that connection. And here's why I believe that. This is the first time that other than Mary hearing from the angel, that someone outside of Mary proclaimed this baby as the Messiah. It's a very cool picture. And me being a, a father, I always see things through the scope of a father. Parents, you know how you, when you read the Bible, you kind of see things through your own perspective, right? It was interesting to me that the first cloth to touch Jesus, wouldn't it be cool if God himself had already touched that garment? Think about that for a second. Uh, my brother just had uh, a son last week. Uh, his name is Creed, and uh, he's a beautiful little boy. Uh, and it was really cool because uh, you buy him gifts, you buy clothes, you buy different blankets and everything. When you see a gift that you bought, on it for a baby, actually on that child, it touches your heart, doesn't it? It's like, oh, they appreciated the gift. What's really cool, if you'll just go there with me for a second, the possibility that these swaddling clothes were a gift from Zechariah the priest who wore them into the Holy of Holies, where he was encapsulated by the presence of God, it's possible that God touched the blankets before Jesus did a gift from his father. If I am not able to be with my children, I will send them a message. I'll send them a video. I'll send them a text. I remind them that their father loves them. Wouldn't it be cool if it was the first message from heaven to Jesus? Daddy's still with you. We know you're not, we're not together physically anymore, but I'm with you even on earth. To be wrapped in swaddling cloths. Isn't that a cool thing to think about? 
And so we know she got these swaddling cloths from one or two, and that may be another reason she was qualified to receive this amazing gift because it may have been relational uh, connectivity that made her valuable enough to receive this gift. And so as we're going through and researching the story of the virgin birth, we, we, we try to figure out what qualifies Mary and herself. But the bigger picture, and we're going to take a look at this now, is why the need for a virgin birth in the first place? What is it that God had to take man out of the equation? And so we're going to take a look at this. Um, and of all places, I never teach out of Habakkuk, but we're going to be Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. You know you're going deep into the word when you're digging around in Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk. Um, really interesting verse. It says this, it says, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Speaking of God, and one of the characteristics of God is that he is so holy that he cannot even look at sin. Not, not, not even like perform sin, but he can't even look at sin. He can't even behold sinful flesh or it will be destroyed in his presence. This is the same reason why you could not touch the Ark of the Covenant, because that which was impure could not touch that which was sacred. And so we see this very cool picture, and we've got to go all the way back to the beginning to figure the answers out to why there had to be a virgin birth. In Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1 through 11, and then we're going to jump to verse 21. Let's read. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Stop there. Can I tell you the devil has no new tricks? He has no new tricks. The same things he was doing in Genesis chapter 3, he's doing today. He will always do one thing more than anything else. So always challenge God's word to you. Can I tell you, it works when you don't know the word. But if you do know the word, you quote it back correctly and you end up defeating the wicked one. That's why it's called the sword, right? We can use the Bible to defeat the enemy, right? So we use the Bible and its scriptures to stay true and pure because the devil will never come out and say, here's some sin, let's go party, let's do this, uh, and let's destroy your life. That's not how it works. The first thing he'll come to you is he'll say, are you sure that's what God meant? And we begin this internal debate as to whether or not it's wrong And does the goodness outweigh the bad of it? And we go back and forth. Pretty soon we've negotiated in our mind that what used to be off limits is now, well, we'll tiptoe into it and see what happens. And then we tiptoe into it and we think, well, we didn't actually die from it. It's actually pretty fun. And so then we jump all the way into it. And and what's interesting is that the devil thought he goes, you're not going to die. Well, the truth is you might not die right now. Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. 
but the end thereof leads to destruction. The enemy knows that sin leads to destruction and devastation. And if he can get you comfortable with sin, he can lead you to destruction. So he's doing the same things today that he was doing back then. It says, so women, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, uh, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Hold up. Naked? Uh, did they eat the apple and strip? What happened? No. No. Adam and Eve never had clothes to begin with. What was it about their perception that it changed? Now, all of a sudden, they're without covering. Watch this. This is interesting. Uh, let's see here. It says, uh, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So Adam replied, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. One of my favorite lines in the Bible. You ready? God said, who told you? you now, I could stop there and finish this whole sermon on that one line. Can I tell you that the enemy is always trying to expose your weakness? And God is always trying to expose your strength. And what's interesting is they've been naked the whole time, but see, the enemy came in with accusations and told them what it was they lacked instead of them allowing God to show them their blessing. The enemy shows what they were missing. And that's, that's what he does. He always shows the things that we don't have because it takes away our praise and our worship for the things that we do have. Now watch this. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, how many of y'all think God was honestly asking because he, he didn't know? Anybody here, according to that theory? Well, maybe God had focused on somebody else for a while. Well, there wasn't but two people on earth. So was he looking at Adam while Eve was eating the fruit? And Eve while Adam was eating the fruit? What happened? No, God knew exactly what had happened. And he was giving an opportunity for them to come clean and tell the truth. And it says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Okay, so they had walked with God. They had spent time with God. Uh, the reason we know this is, is how do you know? It says, and they heard God walking. I, do you know how much you've got to be with somebody to hear them walking? You ain't got to hear their voice. You just know their gait. You know how they walk. You know the direction they come from. They had spent some time with God. And when they heard him coming, they ran and covered themselves up. You see, the truth is, for the first time when sin entered mankind, righteousness was no longer their covering. So they were exposed. You see, God's righteousness is a protective shield. Uh, all through Proverbs and Psalms, it talks about it, that his righteousness will sustain us and be a covering for us, right? But now, without that righteousness, they felt naked. For the first time, we feel exposed. Can I tell you that not honoring the will of God will expose you to things? But here's what's interesting. God said, even though you've messed up, covered, 
I'm going to make you some clothes. So God made them a tunic of animal skins. Well, if you blow past that, you're going to miss a really cool point. It was the first time something had to die for somebody's sins. Don't miss that. There's always had to be a price for sin, even from the beginning. There's always been a price. And here's what's even crazier. Even though there was atonement for the sin, there were still consequences. Can I tell you God can save you, but you still might have to do some time? Can I tell you that God can save you and you might still have to go make amends in some relationships? Can I tell you that you can make a mistake and you still got to go heal your marriage? This is a picture that as God is making this tunic for him, then he goes in to say from this day forward, delivering babies is going to be a painful situation. How many women said, thanks a lot, Eve? Right, thank you so much. And then he says to Adam, he says, from this day forward, you're going to have to eat from the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to toil the dirt. You're going to have to plant things and grow things. And now you're going to have to slaughter these animals to eat. You're going to have to do all this on your own. It was never God's plan for you to do anything but enjoy his presence. He was doing everything else. He was sustaining Adam and Eve in the garden. So now they've stepped out of his covering and God says, okay, got to figure out a plan. You've stepped out of the covering. I've got to find a different covering for you. And it's right there in verse 15 where he tells the devil that, yes, you may bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. The seed of a woman is coming. She's going to change the game. She's going to regain the covering for my people. again. So what's interesting about this whole story is that we're starting to get a picture of how sin entered humanity. That sin became attached to flesh in the Garden of Eden. You see, if I have uh, big shoulders, uh, my children have big shoulders. Why? Because God made me a creator, and what I put my seed in, it takes my DNA, and then it has my characteristics. Case in point, Gabriel. Dadgum giant, 14-year-old, you know, shoulders bigger than most grown men. Good breeding stock. <laughs> Father must be a bull. <laughs> it's true, it's true. I cannot give my children what I don't have to give. But what I do have, they get automatically, either through my DNA or through my death. Ooh, hang on. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, hang on. Going somewhere. Maddie, if something happened to me and mom on the way home today, let's say there was a, a car wreck, God forbid, and it took our life. Everything comes to you. Everything. The lawyer would call you and he'd set you up. There's things to sustain you till you're 18, then everything transfers to you. So either through my DNA or through my death, everything I have is yours. So when Adam 
had Cain and Abel and Seth, what he had, he gave to them. Then, attached to the flesh. DNA, congratulations. 77 generations. 77 generations. From Adam to Christ. For 76 generations. 10 passed from generation to generation to generation. Traditional curse after traditional curse. The sins of the father fell on the son. The sins of the father on the son. One after the other, after season after season. But God said there's a day coming when the seed of a woman will crush your head. Why? Because if I didn't provide the DNA, my curse is not attached to that child. Watch this. God chose a virgin to step out of the curse of sin and death. And now, because it was through a virgin, the sin from the flesh of man was not attached to this baby. And I can just hear throughout hell them thinking, hey, another baby's born. We got hooks. And they said, yeah, a baby was born in Bethlehem in the tower the other night. And they said, I went to see him. This baby was different, though. Baby was different. It didn't have the hooks. It didn't have the footholds the other babies have. This baby was born. No traditional curse. Devil said, Baby born? Bethlehem. He said, Wait a second. Who's his daddy? He said, Joseph the carpenter. Devil flipped through the pages. He goes, oh, that can't be right. Joseph struggles with this and this and this and this and this. If that's his baby, then this little boy Jesus ought to have the same problems that daddy had. You sure there wasn't no foot? I got to go see this for myself. Devil looked and he saw this perfect, spotless child. It struck fear in his heart. Because his mind went back to Genesis 3.15. From the seed of a woman, your head will be crushed. So here it is, this baby that is both perfect physically, but also perfect spiritually. There is no flaw in this child. The devil's thinking, possible this is the one. Just in case. In case it's the one. Hey, King Herod, you want to stay on the throne. You need to go kill every baby two years old and under in this whole area. And King Herod says to his soldiers, go kill every child two years old and younger. Meantime, the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and says, hey, got to get him out of the way, Herod. They saw, I promise you, when the devil saw them packing their bags for Egypt, he went, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. This might be the one. Dadgummit, how did they know I talked to Herod? 
And all of a sudden, babies in Egypt back. They come back. And then all these prophecies start getting fulfilled in the day the devil. Can I tell you the devil knows the scripture better than you do? Going through all these prophecies, you're going, check, 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 check. Uh-oh, check, check. He's 12 years old in the synagogue teaching. Mm-hmm. Check. His wisdom will outweigh the wisdom of the wise. Check. Okay. Uh-oh. 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 Bat down the hatches, boys. This could be the one. One day he sees Jesus flee into the wilderness. Watches him 40 days. Waits till Jesus gets really weak. You ever fasted for even seven days? If you go seven days, I've only done it once in my life, a water fast for seven days. You don't feel like you can get your head off the pillow. 40 days? I met a pastor one time who did a 40-day water fast. 40 days. He lost 60 pounds. His body was just emaciated. Man, his spirit was on fire. So we catch Jesus in the wilderness. Walking with a purpose. His purpose was a showdown. See, the devil thought the body weakness. He didn't see that the spirit was the strength. So he goes to Christ and he says, hungry. Think you are hungry? Paraphrase that. If you're who I'm afraid you are, speak to that stone and turn it into bread. devil's worst fears came to reality right there. It's replied with the word of God. Man, not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil said, I got to kill him. Let him get loose. Already changing so much. He's got these 12 random people following him. And they're turning whole cities upside down. But let's keep it concealed. Let's just keep it around Jerusalem. Maybe a few little areas out. But if we kill him, we can tame the damage. So we set a plot. You know what's funny is? The plot to destroy Jesus started in the synagogue. So don't be shocked if hurt comes from a church. Because it's just people. Right? But can I tell you, God never hurt you. That was a person that hurt you. So, if Jesus can get hurt from a church, baby, you can get hurt from a church. So, now, set a plot to kill Jesus. Capture him. The devil says, before we kill him, I want to execute these things. I want to make sure he is beaten within an inch of his life. So that way, when we do send him to a cross... He won't make it off cross. Oh, if they want a king, we'll show them a king. We'll give them a crown of thorns. He began to manipulate people to do these horrible and terrible things. What he forgot was the prophecy of Isaiah that told us what I said earlier, that he would be wounded for our transgressions, that he would be bruised for our iniquities, that the stripes upon his back would be for our healing. And so the devil his fear drove him into the perfect plan and will of God. 
And so this child with no earthly father whipped 39 times, beard torn off, spat on, crown of thorns pressed upon his head, and they nailed him to a cross. And the devil said, that's it. Death blow, baby, we got him. Nobody comes off a Roman cross. Nobody. Nobody. I could just see the devil. Jesus hung his head and died. The devil began to celebrate. Got it, Carl, we got him. Got him, Bree, we got him. It was foretold that his kingdom would last forever. We killed him right here. I know the hill of Golgotha, the place they put him on the cross, man. He's dead. I watched him carry his body. And for three days, hell celebrated. Then something happened. Christ walked into hell. But there was still no hooks in him. There was no chains on his hand. And see, at that time, if you were to die, you were bound by death. So when you would enter hell, you would already be chained. And so when you would go into hell, you were already encumbered. And so to see a man walking into hell with no chains had to scare everybody. Somebody forgot your chains. Jesus said, I wasn't qualified for chains. So he walks up to the devil. You got some keys that I need to grab real quick. Bible says, took the keys, death, hell, the grave. He came back to his body. How was he able to come back to his body? Because death cannot destroy that which is. Christ was perfect from day one until this very day. Sin of his own accord had never touched him. The only sin that was on his shoulders was yours. Man, I've put some sin on him. Man, I've put some sin on him. I tell you, I have put it in the ditch. Baby, I have wrecked my life. And he died because of my sin. So this whole story that started out thousands of years ago in a garden where God desired to be the covering of his children and to just spend time with them and be with them in community, to have communion with them every day, destroyed. Through a virgin birth, it's all put back together. You see, he was my covering in the garden. But he can be your covering now. Provided all you needed then. Can I tell you? your provision now. Everything that God had planned for you in the garden that the devil destroyed has been put back together through the womb of a virgin girl named Mary. Is that incredible to anybody else? Does that blow your mind? That God is so big, but yet he is in every minute detail. The smallest thing had the smallest thing gone wrong, had Mary decided not to go to her cousin's house, you understand how many things had to be put into place. 
that you and I can have freedom spiritually. Man, that's why when I get up here and tell you God loves you, man, you got to get in the Bible. That's the greatest love story ever written. It's about you. He would have done every bit of this just for you. This whole series, we've talked about what made that night so special. I submit to you that the purpose, thought on God's mind, on that holy night, son was being born, wrapped in a blanket that he possibly could have blessed and touched him. Herod tried to destroy Jesus. He got Jesus out of there. Why? He was protecting the sacrifice for you. He gave Jesus the strength to outrun the temptations of the wicked one. Why? Because there had to be a perfect sacrifice to atone for your sin. Again, for you. Jesus, the whip on his back, nails in his hand. I tell you, a father cannot endure watching his child go through that unless it was to save other children. There's no other way that you would lose your mind unless he was a gateway that other people would walk through. I tell you, the story of the virgin is your story. It's the story of your future. It's the story of your eternity. It's the story of God's love just for you. So today as I close, I just want you to remember that. That God's original plan was just to be with you. Just think about that for a second. We, 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 we say these things, but do you ever stop and let it really sink in? Think about that for a second. God, not some cartoon, not some just myth we talk about, the one true living God desires to be with you. And he desired it so much, he sent his perfect son to a virgin birth to die for you. Man, that's a big love. It's a big love. This past week as I was studying, I found all these really cool things. And at the end of it, I was like, man, there's so many cool little details. Like, like the, 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 the swaddling cloth and, and Zechariah and, and all these little things you start putting together in these pieces. But at the end of it is when your mind is blown. It's when you're forced to face the fact of one grand truth that he loves you that he did it all for you. And that's heavy. And when you submit it to people in that way, how can you turn away from that? How can you not receive that gift? So today, I'm just going to ask a simple question. Do you know him? Have you received that gift? If you hadn't, we can fix that today. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Saved. That simple. 
People say, how can it be that simple? Hey, we never had to do anything from the beginning. I mean, what do we do? Walk with him? Eat the fruit he planted? His goal was never your labor. Devil, that's a lie from him. That you can do something good enough to deserve the gift. That's a lie. Truth is free, but it won't you. Cost you nothing. Cost him everything. He loves you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know him? Do you know him? And if you don't know him, I just want to pray for you. You're in here and you say, Josh, I don't know that I know. Like, I, I think maybe when I was a kid or, or maybe at one time, I, I'm not sure. But if you want to be sure, or you may say, Josh, man, I, I know I hadn't been doing things right. I want to do things God's way. I want, I want the plan, that same mind that put this virgin plan into place. I want to put my life into place. Wherever you're at on that track, you just say, hey, I just want to know that I know God loves me and that he's my savior. If that's you and you want to say a quick prayer, just raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Praise God. One precious little girl. Anybody else? One little girl bold enough to raise her hand. Anybody else? Praise God. Praise God. Everybody repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to a virgin for me. I believe Jesus died on a cross for me. I receive him and I thank you for receiving me. I'll be your child. You be my God. Jesus. Amen. Stand to your feet today. If you're here, maybe you didn't raise your hand and you just, something changes, you want to pray, or maybe you're here and you need prayer for something else. My prayer team will be right here to my left, your right. I encourage you to come down if you need prayer. I want you to go into this next week, focus on just how much God has done for you. Do it. You know, kind of like what we said earlier during communion. Do this in remembrance. This week, I want you to live in remembrance. I want you to focus on it because next week, we're going to bring this whole thing home. We talked about Bethlehem. We talked about manger, talked about the virgin next week, we're going to talk about the Savior. My prayer is that as we all meet together for the candlelight vigil, we all light those candles. There's a new passion for God in our hearts. That we have a, a, a new, fresh information and knowledge of who He is and what He's done for us. So this whole Holy Night series is a gift that I want you to take, lock it in, and then give it away. Share it with me. There's a lot of confusion out there about Christianity. Go fix that. Go tell the story of Jesus and watch lives be changed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We 
thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, as the next few weeks unravel and unfold, Lord, that uh, you would just allow us to see your goodness. Lord, we, we celebrate your birth. And Lord, we realize that it was a holy night. There was something very unique and peculiar about the night you were born. And when we look at the details, we see that you had been making plans for thousands of years for that one moment. In that one moment, yes, you were happy that your son made it to earth, but you were celebrating his birth for us. It was our freedom. Nothing changed for you. You weren't locked in chains. You were still God, but your children were set free that day. Lord, I thank you that your word says that when even one comes to the saving knowledge of Christ, all of heaven erupts. With a celebration, Lord, because they know your heart. They know it's your desire for your children to come back to you. Father, I thank you for your word when it's rightly divided. It leads us to one great truth, that you love us. Thank you, Lord. You give us the ability to love you back. I just want to tell you that I love you. I want to tell you thank you for your my life. I want to tell you thank you for my family being healthy and hold this. Thank you for another year with my parents and Wendy's parents. Thank you, Lord. There's just your goodness is all around. And Lord, for those who may be going through a season that they say, hey, it's going to be a tough Christmas because X, Y, and Z. Lord, I pray that you would pour a double portion of your comfort on them. Allow them to see your goodness, even in a season of sadness or heaviness. You're still good. You're still God. And I thank you. And lastly, Lord, would you bless us and keep us? Be gracious to us and show us your favor. Make your face shine upon us and give us peace both now and forevermore. Cover us with the blood of Jesus. From the top of our head to the soles of our feet, I thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper. I thank you that you're going to bring us back next week with more wisdom and more of your word locked away in our heart. Lord, we'll respond with gratitude and worship. We love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name and everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining us today for the Hope City Community Church Podcast. We pray that what you've heard today will bless you until the next time we meet again. We hope you'll join us again soon to be encouraged, inspired, and challenged to experience the real Jesus. Take good care and God bless.